Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels, and our guest this week, we've got Jason Mitchell back on the show. Uh, This week, we're talking about shallow walleye fishing right up Jason's alley. You've heard him on this show many, many times. You've heard me talking about Jason many, many times in the same way that he loves fishing walleyes in shallow water, 12 months out of the year. Doesn't matter uh, where it is. The time of year that it is, Jason loves looking for a good shallow water walleye bite. And this conversation revolves around that. And it's that time of year where there is a lot of walleye shallow. And, uh, you know, more specifically than that, in this interview, I want Jason to talk about targeting shallow walleyes with crankbaits. And uh, that can mean a lot of different things and a lot of different scenarios. We're going to break down a couple of really popular scenarios that Jason has been in uh, many times, especially recently, uh, one being casting crankbaits. Uh, Casting crankbaits for shallow walleyes on Devil's Lake, uh, where Jason is from. He's got just so many years of experience on this topic, and so he's got a lot of great takes, uh, a lot of great uh, talkers along those lines but we're also going to break down trolling crankbaits in shallow water you know across the midwest this uh, can definitely be a thing uh, to search for fish learn water uh, learn lakes uh, you know and just find fish especially if you're fishing uncharted water or just just, uh, you're fishing somewhere that you've never been and you gotta you gotta go looking you gotta go do some graphing you gotta go do some things side image you gotta go find some fish just you know, having some spinning tackle, a spinning rod, put you know a crankbait on, make a long cast behind the boat, and do a little forward trolling uh, while you're out there looking for fish can be so effective. And Jason breaks those those scenarios down uh, for us, and and we really talk about everything. We get into some gear recommendations and all that too. So a really really great conversation. We're talking targeting shallow walleyes with crankbaits with Jason Mitchell on this week's episode. Let's get to it. The fishing opportunities in Northeast South Dakota's Glacial Lakes region are phenomenal. You've heard us talk about it on the JMO podcast before. It's a multi-species destination. We're not just talking walleyes or perch in the wintertime. This is, uh, there's phenomenal pan fishing. There's a fantastic bass fishing. There's muskies and big northern pike. Everything's there with hundreds of lakes and a bunch of communities that offer all kinds of fun events and lodging. For information on this area and the fishing opportunities here, head to sdglacialakes.com. You'll see the link is in the description of this podcast. On there, you're going to find all the resources that you need to research. Or if you feel like you're already familiar with the fishing opportunities there and you already plan your annual trip, if you're not checking out this website and the information on it, then you're leaving some on the table. Head to sdglacialakes.com. You're going to find the lodging opportunities. You're going to see maps of the area. You click on the fishing tab. It's going to showcase some of the great fishing opportunities in that area. From there, you can look up the local guide services or the bait shops. That's where you're going to find the real-time fishing reports that you need when you're looking ahead and planning on one of these trips. So, again, if you want to plan your next fishing adventure, consider Northeast South Dakota's Glacial Lakes region. Head to sdglacialakes.com for all that great information. The link is in the description to this podcast. This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by the North Dakota Game and Fish Department. In the 2023 fishing season, the state of North Dakota is putting on the 2023 Sport Fish Challenge. Now, the process is simple. You're going to catch a variety of fish, take pictures of them, submit those pictures. If you do it all over the course of the season, you're going to win some cool prizes. For full challenge details, 
head to the link that is in the description of this podcast. That's gf.nd.gov backslash fish hyphen challenge. This episode is brought to you by Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Devil's Lake is one of North Dakota's premier outdoor recreational destinations. And to find out more about what the lake and the community of Devil's Lake has to offer, head to devilslakend.com. That link is in the description. I love doing these shows with you because I'm anticipating, you know, some stories and looking back on your career and just things that you love about, you know, these presentations and these tactics and these strategies. But shallow cranks in the spring and early summer, um, you know, for you, like what what are the big talking points? Where do we have to start here? Should we start with casting cranks? Because that's obviously a ton of fun. Should we start with maybe, you know, when you start trolling cranks, what do you like to do? Where would you like to start in this conversation about shallow crankbaits, shallow fishing walleyes, that whole bit? You go. Well, you know, there's a time and place for casting and trolling. I mean, a lot of times, you know, we're finding fish shallow, you know, especially after the post spawn, you know, a lot of a lot of it's weed driven. You know, and um, there's times where you can where you can troll cranks over the tops of weeds or along weeds. But I find that casting is just a little bit more efficient in the sense that you know, even if half your retrieve is followed up from weeds, you know, you reel it in, clean the weeds off, and you're right back to fishing. Whereas with trolling, if you're trolling in weeds, you can waste a lot more time. And so, you know, a lot of times when we're talking shallow fish, we're talking weed fish. It is a casting game. And, you know, casting enables you to cover so much water. I mean, sometimes these fish move around a lot, especially like at these basin lakes where, you know, a lot of times you know, we're following the wind, you know, wherever the wind's blowing in, it seems like that can get these fish fired up. But on the flip side, too much wind, if it, you know, the, what I use to gauge too much wind is if the weeds are getting broken up and you're seeing a lot of weed debris floating around, then a lot of times that type of wind, if, if there's enough velocity of the wind, you'll actually see fish pull out of the, some of that shallow water. It's like they don't like the weeds and stuff moving around. You know, so same thing with flooded timber. If you can see the timber moving, uh, chances are that it's enough turbulence where I feel like the fish will pull out of that stuff. It feels, it seems like walleyes don't like stuff touching them. So if you can imagine a walleye cruising along a weed line, all of a sudden they're just debris and stuff bumping into them. They don't like that. They like to have clean water around them. And so that's kind of how I gauge wind is that wind is good, until a certain point you know you can have too much wind in spots but you know wind and weeds are probably the two big things that'll drive you know some of these shallow patterns but you know sometimes too like on some of the big reservoirs like on Sakakawea for example sometimes just that water coming up if it's cold water you know during that June rise you know it'll just push these fish up shallow or they're just you know in that situation I think they're looking for sunshine they're looking for warmer water for heat just to speed up their metabolism, you know, and that's a situation where, say, if you have a six-foot, five-foot contour that goes long enough along a shoreline, you know, you control it, you know, or some of the creek arms, for example, back in Shell Creek and back in, like, Douglas and Beulah Bay, you know, some of the deep water, I mean, we've seen it all over where you can just stay on that contour for a lot longer than you could casting, and so that's probably how I differentiate casting and, and trolling is that if I have a long run, or if I have a clean bottom in a, in a in a kind of a consistent contour, a lot of times I keep the bait in the zone a lot longer. It'd be a lot more efficient by trolling. But if I have to go over the tops of weeds, or it's just clumps of weeds or clumps of rocks, and it's you know less than five six feet of water, 
I feel like I can be a lot more efficient by casting. Talk about just even if it's some stories or just memories or just the things that you've learned through, you know, just is casting cranks this time of year on Devil's Lake over the years. Like like what are some of the big time like big takeaways, things that you've learned, you know, as an efficiency of it and um, you know, and just just what you like about it in certain situations. Well, you can fish a lot faster, you know, so you can have your trolling water on, say, four or five, six. You can go along areas and, and just look for signs of life. You know, even if you're catching, you know, I always felt like if you're catching nice pike, for example, like nice pike being, like, say, pike bigger than five pounds, you better slow down because there's usually nice walleyes around as well. Um, you know, I think fish can see a crankbait, feel a crankbait from further away, which I think is really important, you know. And, and once this water warms up with this fish, these fish have high metabolisms, you know, they're they're looking for stuff to eat. And, and a lot of times, too, you know, we'll find some of the nicer fish pitching cranks. You know, long after the, the main rush in the spring is over, when everybody starts fishing bottom bouncers and spoons, they start trolling out deeper, you know, those weed fish get left alone, you know, and, a lot of times, you know, we'll find, you know, some bigger fish, you know, casting cranks. You know, I'm talking, you know, June, July, August, you know, when the water warms up and you think all the, all the fish have moved deep, which no doubt many of them have. But uh, I always feel like there's always some fish left up in the weeds. And a lot of times those could be some of your nicer fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like when when you're looking, when you're breaking down water like that, like when you, you know, it's almost kind of like old school fishing. I mean, because we haven't even mentioned electronics. We haven't even mentioned a whole lot about, you know, reading a map. You know, you talk about evaluating a spot, whether it's maybe a bigger, longer run and, and it, it is trollable, you know. But I mean, we're, you know, talking about just the, you know, the type of presentation and the just how valuable it can be when you're, you know, you're just, it, it's sort of that sweet spot and balance of, of, the speed that you're able to fish. Um, and it, and it also, you know, it, it triggers bites and it's just, yeah, I, I feel like it's in some ways and just as much fun as it is to get bit, um, in that way, it's like, you know, the difference between that and a bottom bouncer and a spinner, it's like, I'll cast cranks for a, a month longer than anybody else will just, even if it's, if I'm sacrificing bites, because it's just that much fun, as well as, like you said, it does, I feel like that's true too, that it does, there is like a sort of like a size structure potential there. Like it's just the type of fishing that can produce a nice fish uh, where, you know, something subtle may or may not. But that being said, talking about your setup, there's all kinds of conversations. Like you must get questions when you film shows and you're casting cranks and doing all these things. You've been doing this for a long time. What would you say are some of the main questions that you feel like you're always trying to answer in and around the subject of casting cranks on Devil's Lake? Well, I think the the right type of spot, you know, like what does a good spot look like? Um, and that can change from, you know, from time of year. I mean, a lot of times early on, you know, like this spring, you know, we were catching a lot of fish right away after the spawn over soft bottoms, shallow water, next to cattails, you know, and where a good cast from the boat, you know, being say, oh, I don't know, 30 to 50 feet, your boat was maybe in six feet of water, seven feet of water, but no deeper than that. But at the same time, it had to be deeper than five feet of water, you know, minimum of four feet of water seemed like for it to be good, at least to hold, you know, the bigger fish. And, you know, then we'll see a, you know, we'll see, different periods where rocks will fire up and then the weeds start to grow up and then the weeds become a major 
factor. I always like spots that, you know, that drop off from the shoreline or from the reef that you're fishing where, you know, if, say if you're on a reef, say if it comes up to say, you know, minimum of four feet and uh, drops down, you know, where a good cast away from the boat, you're in at least six, seven, eight feet of water. And shorelines, you know, a good cast away from the shoreline, like from the bank, uh, maybe, you know, two boat lengths, you're in maybe six feet of water. That seems to be kind of the profile you're looking for from a, from a, a you know, a depth perspective. And, you know, there's times where, for example, you just have a straight shoreline where it's just all soft bottom. You've got all kinds of weeds coming up. Those fish will be baiting to that. There's times where the fish will be on sand or sand and rock and wood, you know, but always some of my favorite spots kind of have a combination where you can, if you could combine a couple of things together, like say some weeds, like maybe there's some sand, scattered rock, some soft bottom areas, or maybe there's some pencil reeds coming up in places, and maybe some cabbage popping up in places, and, you know, and, and some of that stringy grass coming up a little deeper. You know, we have different things kind of uh, combined together, or, you know, maybe add some wood into the mix. I feel like it makes it that much better, especially for attracting big fish. Um, you know, if you, whatever you can find, some transitions and changes that, that I always felt made, made a spot better. But, you know, as far as the, the you know, your electronics, you know, a lot of times you can't side image these fish, okay? If they're over clean sand, you can, but a lot of times if they're in the weeds, you know, you can't side image them. It can be really difficult to use forward-facing sonar. And so it's really kind of goes back to an old school style of fishing where you're looking at watercolor. Watercolor is a big thing. You know, a lot of times if the water will clear up in a spot, you, you'll see fish, but they get a lot tougher to catch. And so you're looking for stain, you're following wind, you're fishing where the wind's blowing in. You know, even if it's just a little bit of a chop, a little bit of a ripple, uh, you're looking at, you know, how the weeds are coming up and you're picking baits that, you know, go over the tops of the weeds or down the angle, down the sides of the weed line, you know. And so, you know, you're you're try, you're basically trying to look for the right looking spots. Then you're trying to find a bait that'll fish those spots, and that's a moving target. You know, uh, for example, right away in the spring, before the weeds come up, you might be able to throw, say, like a number five rumble shad or a shad wrap or a flicker shad, and go right down the break. And then two weeks later, those weeds reach up so high that you're fouled up every cast. You know, and you might have to run something really shallow over the top of the weeds. And that's probably the big thing that you know I think throws some people for a loop is you think, oh, the summer progresses, I got to use a deeper diving bait. But the reality is, as the weeds come up, you're running shallower running baits as the summer progresses because the weeds reach the surface. And you got to find something that'll go over the tops of those weeds. And so that's probably the biggest adjustment is just figuring out your angles and your in your baits lure selection where you can fish a weed line clean and, and you know running efficiently. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about picking crankbaits to cast and the setup and the whole deal. Let's just get a little bit into some gear conversation here. Like even if you if you want to just break down a hypothetical scenario, kind of like you already have, or if you just want to kind of go into the whole gamut of everything that you you know have in your tackle box and just go on down the line. But you know, however you want to get into it, I want to I want to get some gear recommendations and just a few things, maybe some do's and don'ts with uh, your gear selection on this presentation. Well, I'm a big fan of braided line. I, I feel like. You know, you can cut through the weeds better. You can snap weeds off. You've got better sensitivity as far as if your lure is working correctly. So this isn't a deal where you're going to be using, say, like six or eight pound monofilament. You're going to get chewed up. Uh, so I like to, use, you know, start off with like a 10 pound braid. I was a big fan of Nanofill, uh, just like a cast beats further with it. They discontinued that particular line. They 
reformulated the fire line where it's more similar to nanofill, but I used 10 pound fire line for years. I would say that's a you know, 10 or eight pound fire line is probably a good base to start out at. Uh, on a lot of these lakes, like Devil's Lake, for example, and a lot of these other, you know, these prairie dishbowl lakes in the Dakotas, there are pretty big numbers of pike. And so a lot of times I'll run a, a say a two foot piece of 20 pound fluorocarbon as a leader and I'll just connect it with either a and I'll, and I'll connect that with either a uninot or an Alberto knot, and um, and then just run a, a crankbait snap on the end of it. And you know, if you don't have pike to contend with, you don't need a leader necessarily on, on most of these lakes. Most of these lakes come mid-summer; the water is so stained from algae that uh, it's not like the fish see the line. But it just, but the heavier fluorocarbon does save a few crankbaits from pike. Uh, you know, and as far as the rod, you know, I like a longer rod just so I can get light baits out further. You know, I, I you know, being able to cast and being able to cast at a distance is a huge advantage. You know, especially on some of the off days where you just have to back the boat off and touch where fish are following. If, you, if you're getting fish following it and they're turning at the boat and spooking at the boat, you know, chances are you're just not giving that fish enough room to eat. And so if you see that back off further and make longer casts, make longer casts, give those fish more opportunities to eat it as they're following it back to the boat. And so with that being said, you know, a longer rod will give you that distance, like a seven, even a seven and a half foot rod. I like to use like, say, a medium, even a medium light action, fast action, a little bit lighter tip just for whipping that crankbait. And then also too, you know, you know, we'll get a lot of walleyes that strike right at the boat and, um, feel like that lighter tip you can just keep those fish pinned up a little better you want you want some give you know because those small treble hooks they tear they tear off you know and so uh, you know ironically you know it's different as the presentations are like a, a rod that would be great for say live bait rigging or even using it as a slip bobber is a great rod for for casting crankbaits i love that i love that and now i know you're you're not like a big color guy most of the time you know we we try to spend most of our time with you talking about you know just putting in the work to find a good spot try to find the fish because once you're around them uh, you know and they're biting you know a lot of that stuff isn't always as much of a factor but if we're talking about some of the setup we're talking about finding uh you know some productive water in some good spots um what would you say, what are some conditions that do help you with color selection or just lure selection in general, whether it's profile, action, like all those things? Like what what do you look for in a crankbait specifically, um, you know, in different situations to want to put it on and give it a try? Oh, boy. I mean, you know, being in the right place at the right time is the most important thing, you know. Until I find fish, I'm not, you know, I'll, I'll switch up lures throughout the day. You know, I'll try different lures. And uh, and I always try to make sure that everybody in the boat's throwing a different lure. And that's the easiest way to break it down is if you can be lucky enough to have, say, two or three people in the boat and everybody's throwing something different, usually you can figure out things so much faster. You know, and you'll see that where every fish will come on one lure, one color. You know, I mean, that happens all the time. But, you know, a lot of times, like, if it's, like, really stained algae water and you're fishing shallow i'm a big fan of like fire tiger and like hot steel you know like those bright you know colors that have a lot of chartreuse in them i don't feel like you can go wrong with that in the dakotas at least on devil's lake um there's a nordic perch color that's a great color on devil's lake it's just kind of a green kind of a subdued green gray silverish looking perch pattern uh but if the water clears up like say you know, there's algae in the water, like in particles, but you can see down two or three feet and the water's just not like green and it's not dark. Uh, 
bleak and in silver and you know you know colors that you know like they have more silver and blue in them can be really good holographic colors can be really good you know in that clearer water you know and so i would say those are probably the big ones is the you know the hot steel fire tiger uh chartreuse color patterns mixed in with some silver silver black silver blue uh sometimes you know dark colors can be good like purple gold um you know if it's sunny out i'll have a tendency to use more you know holographic or silver gold colors but you know i think the big thing is the profile the action the length where the lure's running in the water column i mean those are the things all those things trump color usually you know but then you kind of fine tune some things and you know there's just one thing that's working and you know that's why you got to keep trying different things you know and at the end of the day you just have to keep trying different things like if you're throwing a say a, a fire tiger number five shad wrap for three hours and you haven't seen a fish change it you know do something different you know um might be a you know say a rumble shiner you know in silver or it might you know just change change what you're doing until you get lucky you know and you know a lot of times when you find fish you know and you make a pass you know you'll you'll at least get one or two fish to slow you down and, and then you know like a lot of times too if you catch a fish on a shoreline and you make another pass and you don't catch nothing that's when they really start changing up things and trying different things because usually there's you know that fish wasn't by itself there's more fish around you just got the one that would cooperate maybe doing a few things wrong maybe wrong lure wrong color whatever and you know after i catch a fish and slow down and focus on an area that's when i like to change up things more if i'm not seeing any fish i'm not you know nothing's happening i got way bigger problems than uh, the color at that point Oh, yeah. And to be fair, like, I don't want this to sound like, you know, all you ever do is cast cranks all day. That's a perfect scenario. Like you described, it's like, you know, sometimes the crankbaits can help you cover water and find that one fish that can cooperate. But then, you know, you they, they get tougher. It, that That's when it's that one two punch. It might be a slip bobber deal. It might be a swim bait. So I don't want I don't want that to get lost in this conversation. Absolutely. I mean, the, the crankbaits, sometimes the crankbaits do it on their own, right? But then sometimes they co-op, they, they, they reinforce or they, they complement other things. Like say you're going along a shoreline, maybe there's a little bit of wood, you pop a fish on a, on a crankbait and uh, there's just a nice inside couple on that wood and you can't get any more pitching cranks. Well, then oh, I'm going to go in there and slip bobber because I think there's more fish in here. Or I might go along the outside edge and throw a plastic, you know, paddle tail, you know, and you know, so yeah, I mean, you're, you are, you know, you might be using it to find fish, might be using it to break down water, catch aggressive fish, but sometimes you do have to change, you know, and, and do something different, you know, where you found fish originally by crankbaiting and then, you know, you, you know, you throw in other tools into the mix. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I just, that's the one thing is I, I, I don't want to feel like I'm forcing you to, you know, like, like that conversation. Somebody might listen to this and just, they might just go to devil's lake and pitch cranks for four days. Well, that isn't necessarily usually the deal. Like, well, you can't go wrong with that. I mean, it catches a lot of fish. I mean, there's, there's a lot of days where that's all we have to do to do is, is pitch cranks, you know, and, and I tell you what, you pitch cranks for two or three days and you've got a really good milk run of spots where you know there's fish. You know, you can just cover so much water, way water than, than any other presentation as far as just being able to comb through water and, and find fish. Absolutely. 
Every opportunity that we have to go out on the water fishing is a chance to make a memory. It's a chance to learn and grow as an angler. Ultimately, these are our fishing adventures. Now, if you want to take your fishing adventures to the next level, in 2023, the state of North Dakota is putting on the 2023 Sport Fish Challenge. Now, the process to complete this challenge is simple. You catch a bluegill, a walleye, a bass, and a trout. Take pictures of each of those species and submit the entry to the North Dakota Game and Fish website. The link is in the description. Anglers that complete the challenge will receive a decal that they can proudly display, which obviously would look excellent on a cooler or a tackle box or a water bottle, anywhere that people can see it and you can brag about it. For full challenge details... Again, visit the link that is in the description of this podcast. That's gf.nd.gov backslash fish hyphen challenge. Devil's Lake, North Dakota is one of North Dakota's premier outdoor recreational destinations. We talk about the fishing all the time on this show. But to find out what the lake and the community has to offer, which is way more than we ever talk about on this show, you can head to devilslakend.com. And get all that. We're talking about the lodging and restaurant options and just the lay of the land and everything going on in the community. There's all kinds of stuff all summer long going on in and around the community of Devil's Lake. Also, our favorite, the fishing tab. It's going to give you real-time fishing reports, directions to fish cleaning stations and boat landings and shore fishing piers, which are awesome, by the way. Also, it's going to give you a list of options for boat rentals or guide services and bait shops. Everything that you need to plan your next adventure in Devil's Lake is at devilslakend.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. Especially like shallow water. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit here. We've definitely got some great stuff there. But I do want to switch gears while we have enough time in this conversation to talk about one other thing. And and I'm almost, I'm being really pointed and specific with this because I really enjoyed this. But earlier this year, or just a couple weeks ago, you filmed an episode over on uh, uh, Upper Red Lake with Dusty Minky where you guys were trolling shallow crankbaits and it's like a it's a totally different deal it, it, it you know casting cranks on devil's lake and trolling cranks on upper red um you know are two total they're like worlds apart it's like two different planets but you know crazy enough you're using a very similar tackle um i want you to kind of break that down so that kind of contrasts it because i want to give as much love to just shallow crankbaits as i possibly can and and I'll, and break down different situations where having some of these in your tackle box can just be fun and important. Well, yeah, you know, Red Lake is a little bit different because, you know, you just have these big, massive flats. The water's stained enough where the fish aren't spooking from the boat. You know, we were running cranks right behind the boat, more or less. We didn't have to use planer boards. We didn't have to get away from the boat. And we probably, I think we could have caught fish casting cranks up there. You know, there's some rock fingers and there was some, definitely some concentrations of fish. But, you know, like neither Dusty or I had fished upper red in the summer, you know, or open water. And so, you know, we just put the cranks behind the boat and started trolling. You know, we heard that the fish were biting in six, seven, eight feet of water. And sure enough, we trolled the six, seven, eight feet of water and started catching fish. And we were catching so many fish. It's like, well, why anything different? Why would we change what we're doing? Because what we're doing was working, you know. But, you know, that's the thing, you know, that's, that's you know, a perfect trolling scenario. You have big spots. You have, you know, fish that are scattered. Not only are these pods of fish scattered, but they're moving a lot, you know, and uh, you can just keep 
sifting through so much water, you know, where if you're staying in and you don't have to worry about following up the lure or weeding up the lure, you know, there's still, you know, trolling will beat casting as far as efficiency. I mean, you just put the rods, be, you know, the lures behind it and go. And, yeah, yeah, I mean, same setups. I mean, that's probably something that probably doesn't get said enough is that, you know, people get so enamored with going to reels with trolling, you know, where it's like I get that question all the time. How many feet of line do I got to let out? And it's like, well, every boat's going to be a little different. Every rod and reel is going to be a little different. How you have your rod holders angled is going to be a little different. You know, you, you, you know, at the end of the day, you have to kind of make your own formula, your own recipe, you know. Uh, you know, so, I, I mean, yeah, I've got the, the uh, Bible or the, you know, the, the yeah, app. Yeah, the on precision my, trolling like, app. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I use it as a reference, but at the end of the day, you got to fine-tune your own system, you know. But the thing I want to stress is that if you're less than eight feet of water, this isn't rocket science. You know, most of these baits, I mean, it's a 20-foot cast, and you're barely ticking bottom. If you're too hard, you reel it up a little bit. But here's the advantage. You know, I, I like to use spinning rods a lot. Even on Devil's Lake, I troll with the trolling motor a lot and uh, use spinning rods, and I just drag them behind the boat in areas where I'm casting just a touch deeper, like in that, say, five to eight foot of water if it's clean of weeds. And like with spinning rods, I'm, I'm so much faster. I mean, I'm, I'm in the water fishing so fast compared to letting out line with a line counter. And, you know, I mean, I, and, I, and I started doing that when I was guiding where I'd have people that some people couldn't cast. They could hardly cast. And I would just take the troll. I would just have them make a little, little, little bit of line behind the boat or make a short cast behind the boat, the spinning rod. This isn't rocket science. You're trolling in six feet of water, you know, in if the lure is out 15 feet, you're going to be close enough to where you'll catch fish. And I would just put the trolling motor on six, seven and, you know, mile and a half to two, two and a half miles an hour and start going with the trolling motor. And, and it was shocking at times how many fish we caught doing that with people that couldn't cast. You know, that was kind of one of my little secrets is like, Hey, you don't can't cast. No problem. <laughs> I got a way we can get them, you know, but, but, uh, trolling shallow and then using a spinning rod instead of a line counter, I feel like it, it just, it's a huge advantage. And the other advantage I think too, at times is there's times where holding onto the rod can be a big advantage. You can twitch and pump and work that rod tip a little bit. And I feel like that can add up and make some big differences as far as catching more fish at times versus just a rod in the rod holder, just dragging, you know? And so, um, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things I like about using spinning rods in shallow water. It's fast. It's more efficient. I feel like over the course of the day, you'll catch more fish because you're in and out so fast. You know, you're holding onto the rod. As soon as you're followed up, you're reeling up. You clean the weeds off. You cast it back. I mean, this is taking, you know, five to ten seconds to complete that process versus line counter. You're dragging it. You're looking at it. You're feeling it. Oh, this one's followed up. Oh, I can see the lure back behind the boat. You reel it up you're letting line back out, you know, now you're talking that, that process took, you know, a minute, you know, and so over the course of the day, those seconds, those minutes add up, you know, and so I feel like, you know, you can just be so much more efficient that way, and, you know, and, and, and it's fun, I mean, you're holding on to a spinning rod, those fish just club it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they hit it to kill it, for sure. Yeah, you're not setting the hook, I mean, the fish just, wham, they hit the rod, you, you know, you reel them in, you know, and so... It is a fun way to fish. When you talk about trolling crankbaits any time of year, but early in the year when the fish patterns are shallow, we're talking walleyes, but if you're on a certain type of body of water, it's also the, usually that like late spring, early summer is the time of year where there's all kinds of fish. You know, it's, all, it's usually a multi-species deal. It just depends on where you're at. And everything will eat, you know, a, a crankbait 
in those types of situations. And it's usually a fishy, fishy deal. And you learn a lot about where you're at. I mean, I, you know, but talking about the efficiencies of trolling, trolling crankbaits, rod in hand, you know, spin tackle, it just, it, it definitely, I think one thing for me that's a huge deal is that it, in most cases, like more than doubles the amount of spots that I'm willing to troll. Versus versus line counters and stuff. I mean, yeah, you, I mean, yeah, talk about that. Well, you know, we used to, so we used to do a lot of trolling on the Missouri River. You know, and, and I, you know, say twenty five years ago, there was a way fewer people, you know, fishing the river where you had some pretty good spots, kind of to yourself. And, and and it was a deal where we troll a lot and we ran planer boards a lot, where we'd run planer boards up in you know three four feet of water. Now there's getting to be so many people that it seems like you're always steering around a boat and you're never quite in the spot where you need to be, you know, and, uh, and so it's made it a lot more difficult to troll some of that stuff. And, uh, you know, especially like down by uh, Eckroth and Hazleton and stuff and some of those runs in, you know, if you're using a spinning rod, you can start trolling again because it's so fast. I mean, you're, you, you pull into a spot. If you have 30 yards ahead of you, no problem. You throw back 20 feet and you, your motor's in gear and you go, you know. And um, whereas if you're running, say, planer boards and line counters, you know, you need, you need 30 yards just to get set up and then hope, to, hope that you've got a long enough stretch where it's worth setting up for, you know. And so now you're dealing with, you know, maybe 100 yards, 150 yards would be a short trip. You know, for that type of setup, that type of equipment, whereas if you start casting, flicking a spinning rod out behind the boat, now you can pop into a spot and there could be a boat at the top of the hole, there could be a couple of boats in there, whatever, and, you know, you're fishing immediately and you have to zigzag in and around boats, but I just feel like it's so much more efficient that the you can fish so many more small spots, or if spots are fishing smaller because of other boats, you can still run crankbaits through some of those spots pretty fast, you know. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I use a spinning rod for trolling crankbaits a lot, you know, you know, shallow water. I mean, would I want to run reef runners over 24 feet of water with a spinning rod? Absolutely not. If I have a long stretch and it's, say it's, you know, say it's a 300-yard troll uh, and I want to be really precise and I want to make sure that my baits are exactly one to two feet off the bottom, I want to use line counters, you know. But for shallow water, uh you know, just the junk fishing, juking and jiving and, and popping in and popping out of spots uh, or trying to trigger fish by hand holding the rod. I feel like the spinning rod gives you a big edge in those situations. Yeah, man, for sure. I love, I just like hearing that message. I just, it, it, I feel like it's for a lot of people, it might be a reminder, um, but also it might be a light bulb going off for other people that just, you know, you might be in a spot like that and you're trying to cast it and all that. But, you know, from a fishy standpoint, you know, you, sometimes it's the angle. Sometimes, you know, talking about a river or a current situation, sometimes those fish are setting up to where, you know, sort of a, a lateral or a, you know, a horizontal cast, you know, presentation might not be the way they're set up. They might be facing a certain way and that, that short troll, you know, just might just be the hot ticket. It might just hit them just right. Um, and, uh, it can make a day for you. So, I mean, that, those are just some of the big takeaways I've had in yeah, learning some I, of that stuff. Too, I, you know, people get so fixated on, on, on how much line to let out, you know, and, uh, you know, again, it's not rocket science. I mean, you know, say if you're fishing in six feet of water on a river or, or six feet of water on Devil's Lake, and maybe there's some junk coming up the bottom, a foot tall that you can see on your electronics. You down four feet, 
you know, probably the biggest thing is you don't have enough line on. It's letting too much line on. I mean, you take like a, oh, like a, like say a five centimeter bay with a deep diving bill. I mean, you only have to have that bait, you know, 12 feet behind the boat and you're <laughs> down in the zone. You know what I mean? Yeah. In a boat link, you know, a lot of times when we're pulling cranks, you know, our outside lines might only be 10 feet down and our back lines might be 20 feet out, you know? And so it's, you know, at the end of the day, you know, don't get so fixated on a line car. Oh, how many feet, how many feet, how many, just make a cast. Okay. It's hitting bottom pretty hard. I'm going to reel up. Okay. I got foul. Okay. I, I made about a boat length cast. Okay. Now I'm just going to flick it out about 15 feet, 12 feet. Oh, perfectly. Every once in a while, I'll make a little bit of bottom contact, but not a lot. Okay, perfect. You know, and so like, like if you bow hunt, for example, you know what 30 yards looks like? You know what 15 yards looks like? I mean, so you know what, you know, uh, your if your boat say 18 or 20 feet long, you know what that looks like. You know, um, goodness, just you know, you, you'll get a feel for it really quick, I guess. And uh, yeah, I you agree. Know, it's not rocket science, and you know, again, you don't usually, not always, but usually, you don't want to make like extremely hard bottom contact. You just want to just tick above the bottom and every once in a while hit bottom, but not a lot, you know, and, um, and just put the boat in gear and go, you know, it's, it's that simple. Yeah. And the more and more we learn about, especially, you know, just walleye fishing and just fishing in general is you don't always have to be within six inches of the bottom to catch walleyes. I mean, you can, it's one of those deals where I, and I kind of go through these phases personally, like learning trolling, like, like I like learning trolling where it's a great skill to have. If you can just hum your baits perfectly right above bottom and you bolt control and the whole, you get that whole package put together. It's kind of a confidence builder, but at the same time, it might, it, it has pigeonholed me before where I get. So like you said, you just get enamored with, I need, I, I feel like I have to have the specific amount of line out. Otherwise I'm not fishing in the fish when, you know, in yeah, reality. You know, and, and, and Hey, that's a mistake I've made many times. And it's, and it's still something I have to beat in my head where if there's a mistake I make, it's trying to make too much bottom contact and trying to get too close to the bottom all the time. I feel like if you're going to air air high, you know, like yeah. you say, if you're in 10 feet of water, uh, you can't go wrong being say two to three feet off the bottom. Cause the other thing is you're efficient because you're always trolling clean, right? If you're making bottom contact every 20 yards and you've got slime all over your bill, you've got stuff hanging on your hooks, you know, every, every second that that baits in the water is a wasted second, you know? And so you're better off fishing a little high and letting those fish come up for it because they have no problem coming up for it. You know, I mean, think about it, you know, a walleye is a foot off the bottom, two feet off the bottom and a bait comes by at two feet or, I mean, they have no problem. You know, you know, it's, it's, um, I, I feel like sometimes you can fish below the fish or, or you're, you're fishing so inefficiently because you're always fouled up, you know, and if you're fouled up 50% of the time, that's taking a six, seven, eight hour day and squeezing it into two, three, four hours. Now think how many fish you can catch if you have twice as much time. Well, that's how you have to think when you're trolling is you have to be efficient, you know. And so I think, you know, especially like with planer boards, I mean, if there's one thing I've learned with when I do run planer boards, is say if I'm trolling a 10-foot flat and I've got my lines behind the boat running at, say, 8 feet just for argument's sake, I'll run those planer boards at 6 feet, 7 feet, 5 feet because if they can run all day clean, I'm going to catch way more fish than if, they're, if I'm just dragging stuff behind the board i don't know it you know yep. and so you know i think that's uh worth pointing out too is that you have to be efficient you have to be running clean in order to catch fish 
Totally, man. The efficiency is like that is just all the that that is the headline in my opinion. You know, even you know, as an amateur, if you can learn efficiencies to trolling and in casting cranks, like if you can learn the efficiencies of it, the fine details of how to catch fish in a certain spot or on your home lake, you'll figure that part out. But if you're not an efficient, if you're not efficient at the skill itself, if you're not building those skills or realizing you know, what those details are, then, you know, putting fish in the net, you're, you're not even to that point yet. And that's definitely been some hard lessons that I've learned where, yeah. I mean, know, we've all worried about the wrong things. I mean, that's just, uh, that's just fishing in general. That's life in general, you know? And, yeah. and, you know, and the other thing I'd point out is if you have stained water where the fish are over the top of them, I try to run those baits as close to the boat as I can. You know, I'm not running a shallow runner necessarily with a really shallow running bill 50 feet behind the boat. I want to run something that's got a deep diving bill 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 feet next to the boat. You know, I feel like, you know, it's easier to control. It's easier to follow contours. If you're fouled up, weeded up, you know it quicker. And um, you're in and out faster. You have less line to reel fish in, so there's less to go wrong. Even like with planer boards, you know, I'll run like a deep diving, like say like a flicker minnow or a, or a rum stick, you know, in say eight feet of water, you know, I might only have 10 feet behind that board, 12 feet of line and run that bait down below that board versus a bait that's got a shallow running bill that's got to be 50 feet behind the board. You know, I don't do that unless the fish are spooky and I have to. I mean, it's where you do see, you know, clear water, uh, you know, fish are spooky. I mean, there's places I've seen where you, know, you couldn't run braid, you had to run mono. You know, uh, and, you know, when you had to run boards way out to the side of the boat, you couldn't catch a fish within 30 feet of the boat. You know, I've seen that. But in the Dakotas, we're pretty lucky in the sense that usually we've got stained water and, and you can get away close to the boat. So if you can get away with that, do it because, I, you know, again, you're that efficient. I want you to talk a little bit about, um, you know, some of the some of the baits that you've been running the last couple of years, specifically the balsa baits, and just kind of tell that story a little bit and just talk about crankbait action and how important it is and just, you know, the spectrum of it, because I feel like that's a really important thing to get some experience with and that you could people could take away from this conversation as far as, you know, if they're looking for, if they're looking at their own tackle box, wondering what's, you know, usable and what's not, um, or if they're you know, trying to decide what they're going to invest their money in. I think learning more, I, I think that there's a lot of people that maybe don't fully understand the spectrum of action of crankbaits. Yeah. You know, you've got balsa and you've got injection molded plastic and they both have their time and place. And, you know, there's no such thing as a lure that's, you know, you never say a lure is better than another lure because every lure has its place. I mean, I'm a, I'm like a crankbait addict. I mean, I've got boxes and boxes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I've got yeah, more. it's unbelievable. And I've got more brands than you can imagine, you know, and uh, goodness, and I can't tell you how many times I caught fish on one particular lure and then went and bought a bunch of them and I just never, <laughs> never could get the fish to go on that lure for me again, you know, but, you know, looking back, you know, like as far as like shallow running stuff that goes over the tops of weeds, um, you know, years ago we had a bait called the Salmo 8F Perch, which was a phenomenal, it was a kind of a bigger bait, bigger profile, it was like seven centimeters long, and uh, that was a great bait for 
catching big fish over the tops of weed lines. And then Berkeley had a shallow running bait called a frenzy. That was a really good bait. And then uh, the shallow running shad wraps, like in the bigger size, like the sevens and eights, where they had big hooks on them. You know, that was kind of a big fish thing for us. And so working with Northland, you know, we wanted to come out with a line of, of balsa baits because we felt like that was one of the things that was kind of missing, you know? I mean, there's a time and place for balsa. There's a time and place for injection molded plastic. Plastic baits will have a tendency to be louder. Uh, when you put rattles in them, they're easier to tune. And so that's the thing, you know, a lot, you know, a lot of the baits that you buy, you know, they're coming out of China. Whereas if you have a, a plastic bait and you put a rattle chamber in it, it's so much easier to get it to run decent out of the box. And so I think that's one of the reasons why you see so many, plastic baits with rattles and no doubt that there's times where plastic baits with rattles that's the deal you know you look at the success of like a flicker shed you know or a flicker minnow i mean those are two great baits that realistically should probably be in every walleye angler's boat you know but uh when we were designing the the rumble series from northland you know we felt like you know one of the things that's really missing is is balsa you know i mean you look at you know like a shad wrap uh you look at like original floating rapalas i mean there's not many baits left that are made out of balsa you know and you look at those two baits the shad wrap and the original floater uh those are i mean i don't know if there's too many too many lures that have caught more walleyes than those two yeah they're hall of fame and lures yeah, and uh, and so the thing with balsa, it does give it a little bit more subtle action. It's a little bit of a, it's a quieter lure, obviously, because you don't have the rattles. And uh, it really, I feel like it really shines, especially like colder waters, uh, cold fronts. Um, it's, there's, it's just a, it's a subtler role that you can create with balsa versus injection molded plastic. And so, like, you know, I'd be honest, like this spring, I mean, there's two lures that have been just on fire for me. Uh, one very different you know which kind of tells you that you know you got to be willing to experiment and keep an open mind but that rumble shiner that size eight rumble shiner in nordic perch has been a lights out lure for me that's a balsa bait very it's, it's kind of like we took the best things that we liked about the shallow running shatter app and, the, and that sample 8f per and we kind of put it in one lure in the sense that it's got a little bit of the back in the day, we used to use a lure called an Esco, which was a Rapala lure out of uh, Europe. It's hard to get in the States here. They're expensive, but it was a fish catcher, you know, in shallow r- water when you had to run over the tops of shallow weeds. And uh, it's kind of got that Esco zigzag when you pop it. And uh, that Rumble Shiner has just been a phenomenal, phenomenal lure this spring. And the other lure that's been really hot is the Berkeley Hit Sticks, which are kind of a newer lure. It's a very slender lure. It's got a small bill. It's got a little bit of a weight on the bottom. But uh, that Rumble Shiner and Hit Stick have probably been the two lures that have the buzz about them on Devil's Lake this spring. You know, as far as less, you know, for a lure that's running less than three or four feet of water. You know, as far as a lure that has a little bit of a dive curve that, um, you know, that uh, will will clip the edge of a weed line. You know, that that rumble shad is, is looks very similar to a shad wrap. It's got a very similar profile, very similar build design. But one of the things that we did with that particular lure is, um, is we did what's called the shaved bill, okay, where the edge of that bill is very thin and it comes to a very sharp taper, almost like a butter knife, okay? And what that does is it accelerates the dive curve and it gives that lure a wobble almost immediately as soon as it, you know, it doesn't take anything to move that lure. And um, and it gives a really nice pop and roll when you pop the rod tip. And so that was one of the things we did is, you know, one of the things I noticed, I was probably about 10, 12, 15 years ago, one of the, one of the hot trends in bass fishing at the time where guys were shaving the bills on 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 
on baits, you know, whether it's D, Rapala DTs or some of the, even some of the old Pose crankbaits, which, you know, those are balsa baits as well or wooden baits, and they would take up to that lip and make it really thin so that way they could accelerate the dive curve and they could get a little bit more depth out of a bait when they casted it. And um, that always kind of stuck with me, and so I experimented a lot with that, and uh, and I wrecked a lot of baits. I mean, you, you start taking a file to uh, a crankbait bill, it's it's no different than taking a file to a duck call. You're going to wreck, you know. But <laughs> uh, So I wrecked a lot of baits playing around with that, but when I got it right, you know, it, it gave the bait a, a better action and it gave the bait, it, it caused the bait to dive deeper, quicker, which is really nice when you're clipping weed line edges. You know, you don't want a gradual dive curve that takes halfway back to the boat to hit the maximum depth. You want a bait that gets down and then stays there, you know, and so that's where that shaved bill comes in. And so when we designed the rumble shad, we wanted that type of bill on that lure and so that you know it really became a perfect lure for for basically clipping weed line edges you know uh that's you know so that's been one of my best lures that number five rumble shad and again that nordic perch color has been on fire uh that's the lure that we used up on red lake for trolling you know uh, you know catching walleyes but uh we've been catching a lot of fish on it and the rumble stick's been a bait that we've been catching a lot of fish with too you know especially on lake sakakawi and some of the big reservoirs just it looks just like it's got that smelt profile it's got a really nice tight shimmy with a little bit of a roll on the you know where you just see that that color it almost looks like the side of that bait is blinking where it goes through the water you know that's the other thing too is on uh on those balsa baits you can get more of that blinking look where it's like where it just looks like a light blinking or that shine, that that reflection on the side of the lure, and I've always felt like if you can get that crankbait to blink, it just it just seems like it catches more fish. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I mean, we've done it. This is the timing on this is perfect. Um, I, I wanted to cover just some really great, you know, uh, crank casting conversation which we did, and I wanted to give some love to go to YouTube and watch that, uh, you know, watch that Upper Red Lake. Uh, uh, show with Dusty Minky because I just I don't know I just think that there's a lot of like you know just a lot of forgotten takeaways about you know just how fun and easy it is to just you know with spin tackle uh, you know just a, a cast behind the boat and just go and you'll you'll figure you'll figure all the rest of the details out you know it, it, it well, just that, sort that's of that's the easiest fishing gets I mean I, I don't care where you're at that was one of the easiest episodes we've ever filmed and you know that's the other thing too is you know I don't know how many fish we caught, 50 fish or well over 50 fish. I don't know. I mean, it was maybe well more than that, actually. And uh, never took the, never, you know, I was lucky enough to use the same bait. Dusty switched up a few times. It seemed like silver was kind of the thing. And so once we figured that out, Dusty went to a silver bait and, you know, he was catching them too. But, uh, you know, we didn't lose a single lure that day. And you look at how hard shiners are to get and how expensive minnows have gotten. It used to be where people say, oh, I, I don't want to troll crankbaits. It's too expensive. It's like now people are saying, oh, I don't want to use leeches and minnows. It's too expensive. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. funny how crazy the world's changed, you know, but um, that's the thing is, that, you know, yeah, you, you know, it's easy to become a hoarder with crankbaits where you're just collecting them and you've got all kinds of crankbaits. But uh, in the big scheme of things, if you bought, say, four or five crankbaits every time you went fishing, you know, and you didn't lose a lot of them, it's probably not that far off using live bait. It's not that oh, live totally. bait's cheaper anymore. It's it's not, you know. So and you know, gosh, you know, again, like one of the sort of the the, the underlying messages in a conversation like this, 
that I would hope, you know, some people might be able to take away is that, you know, if you're going out somewhere and you don't have side imaging, you don't have forward sonar, or, you know, you're kind of going into some uncharted ground or you've got to go look for fish, you know, spending $100 or $120 on bait that is going to slow you down, you're not going to fish as efficiently, it's going to die before you go fishing again realistically, this might be the application that you're looking for. This might be the type of fishing be. you're looking Absolutely. for, you know? Absolutely. I mean, it is a great way to cover water and to look for fish. There's no doubt about that in, in the right situations. I mean, it's not for everything, but, you know, you look at, you know, whenever fish are shallow and they're on big spots and they can be anywhere, obviously that's a spot a situation where you can troll cranks. And whenever you find, you know, these prairie lakes that have a lot of weeds in them uh, and shallow fish in general, yep. you can cast for them. I and, mean, yeah, I mean, you can definitely cover water. And, uh, you know, and again, it, it is a lot more old school fishing. I mean, your electronics probably aren't as important as what you're seeing. I mean, you're looking for a reference as far as how deep the boat is. But a lot of the stuff are visual clues. You know, you're looking at the weeds. You're looking at, you know. Are, are you seeing minnows in the water when you're loading your boat? Is there a lot of life up shallow? If there's a lot of life up shallow, there's walleyes up shallow, you know? What do the weeds look like? What kind of weeds are they? How are they coming up? Where are the weed lines ending? How stained is the water? You know, what's the wind doing? You know, those are the kind of things that you're observing. And, um, you know, and it's, it's more of an old school feel than a lot of the other things that are happening in fishing right now. There it is, man. We can't go any farther. We can't start any new portions of this conversation uh, uh, unless we're going to just record another one. So let's we'll have to draw the line here. Um, that being said, though, um, if you want to promote anything, you know, I mean, I'm always talking about the YouTube channel. I'm always talking about social media, whatever. But if nothing else, I'll let you back to it, man. Yeah, well, you know, make sure to, you know, let people know about the virtual angling app. We've oh, had yeah. a lot of... Uh, you know, I had a lot of people, you know, that are, are discovering the app and just a lot of information right on your phone. And it's pretty cool. You get notifications, a lot of up-to-date information, but there's just so much useful information that you can apply across the upper Midwest, you know, especially for walleye fishing that, uh, you know, definitely make you a, a much better angler. I mean, we, we use those resources all the time, so. Phenomenal point there, man. Yeah, I'm excited about this. This is perfect. We covered the, the things that I wanted to, and I'm...